Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. I'm just going to continue a series that we've been in here at Love City Church for the last four weeks called Making Room. And this morning, uh, we're going to just uh, kind of end that sermon, end that series talking about making room for Jesus. Now, I love Christmas. I, I think it's probably my, my most favorite holiday of the year. Uh, I love it because of the romance. I love it because of the magic. I love it because, um, although I, I do am challenged by Chinook, I went to a Christmas, Christmas Eve service yesterday, and the pastor said that he loves going to Chinook Mall and encourages you to, and I thought, I don't know if this man's a man of God or not, because that's just so false. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just uh, other than going to Chinook Mall at any time during the year, but specifically during Christmas, I love the holidays. I love Christmas. I love being with my family. I love being with friends. I love uh, I love giving my kids gifts, and my wife won't let me buy her gifts, but this year I did, despite what she said, and I can't wait to give it to her, and she's probably going to want to return it because I spent so much money on it, but the reality is, is that it makes me feel good, and I have a tradition. Tonight, Christmas Eve, my wife and I and my kids will sleep underneath the Christmas tree. That's my dog, Sophie, and she's 12 years old today, by the way, and um, uh, that's our Christmas tree downstairs in our old house. And we sleep underneath the tree and we watch an Elf and Home Alone and generally Ezra and, and Stephanie will fall asleep and Bray and I will have candy wrappers all over our faces and we'll be watching a movie up till late. And I just love the Christmas holidays. And so I, as I was preparing my message today, I, rem- I, I knew that there would be children in the room. I knew there'd be kids in the room. And so I wanted to try to share a message with them today and with you today that might uh, just uh, remind us of some realities about Christmas. You know, if we take away Santa Claus and we take away uh, the reindeer, and that's Sven, by the way, from uh, Frozen, um, and uh, if you take away the gifts and you take away eggnog, you take away the elf, you take away Mr. Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, what do we have left? I don't want to ruin any of the potential traditions you have with your family, so I'm not going to divulge any secrets that some of you might celebrate by uh, breaking the news about some stuff. I won't go there, but what I will say is that, I don't know if you know this, but the early church did not celebrate Christmas. It actually wasn't celebrated until about 250, 300 years after the start of the church. It became something that was celebrated later on in history, something later on in life. They celebrated this reality of Christmas. And so the idea of Christmas in the early church, the church for the first 350 years of the church, was the way that God intended the church to exist. And so the, Christmas didn't actually exist. Now, did they honor Jesus? Yes. And did they think about his birth? Of course. But did they have a holiday around it? They did not. But it's important we remember when we get down to Christmas time and it comes to being at church and it's fun to have cinnamon rolls and eggnog and all those things and I love it. But if we strip all of these things away, what is left? What do we have left? What do we have remaining after all of these wonderful things have been taken away? What are we left with? What is Christmas really all about? Christmas is really all about this one, this one thing. A dad in search of his lost children. The Christmas season was a season in which God the Father 
wanted to rescue his lost children. What would you do if you've lost your child? You ever been in this scenario before where you, maybe you were babysitting somebody and uh, you thought you were going to lose your babysitting certificate? Or maybe you were at an amusement park and you chose not to put your kid on a leash <laughs> and uh, they snuck away from you? Do you know the emotion and the sensation and the feelings that you get when you lost this loved one? This little child, I don't know if you've ever been there before, I know that this man uh, actually traveled on his bike for 1,500 kilometers on, on, on his bike just to find his lost child. His young boy had Down syndrome and wandered away and he went from town to town to town on his bike looking for his lost little boy, 1,500 kilometers on that little bike. I mean, that's crazy thought to think that he would do such incredible extremes. Maybe you're like this girl who, again, on Home Alone, decided to leave her kid at home accidentally, and she went through everything to get back. She gave away jewelry and money, and she took planes, and she got in the back of a U-Haul track with a polka band. My goodness, that's torture. And they went all the way home. What would you do for your lost child? My Bray and Ezra and I were at Heritage Park a couple weeks ago, and this young family lost their kid. The place was packed, and you should have seen them. They were eating their food, and literally these, these adults were really hungry. They had food all over their faces. It was like they were just really hungry. I don't know what it was, but they just had food everywhere. And they dropped all their stuff, and food on their faces were running around. Have you seen my kid? Have you seen my kid? Like frantic, crazy people. And I didn't know what was going on. And I stopped them and said, what's wrong? And I, they said, I've lost my child. I mean, what would you do for a lost child? If you lost your kid, or you lost a loved one, or a young child in your life, you would do anything to get that child back. I read stories of, of families who've lost their children to different trafficking situations or lost their children in other countries and they say, I, I gave up my job and I gave up my life and my marriage almost fell apart because all I wanted to do was find my lost child. And Christmas season is ultimately about that one simple reality that this is the season where a loving dad wanted his children back so badly that he did something so crazy and so out of this world and so beyond, beyond nuts. He did something so magnificent and so unbelievable and he did it for you. We read a scripture here today in Galatians chapter 4. I want to walk through this scripture for a few moments and just kind of point out some things here today and maybe help you understand what the Father did to get you. In Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5, it says, But when the right time came, the time God decided on, he sent his son, the born of a woman, born as a Jew, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons and daughters. Don't worry, you're in there too. That word sons actually speaks to the, the body. It speaks to women and, and men, not just, uh, not just men there. So women, you're involved in this too. That Jesus actually, God actually, at the right time, he went to buy our freedom for us. He purchased our freedom. That scripture would insinuate, young people, old people, that you at one time were in bondage. You at one time were broken. You at one time were lost. The scripture tells us that if it means that if he has to buy freedom, it would mean that we were in bondage. We were underneath something. Something was keeping us back 
from experiencing everything that God wanted us to have. And the reality of being lost is all throughout Scripture, specifically in the New Testament. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2.12. Remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. Look at this. You were lost, you were without God, and you were without hope. So the Scripture says that people or anybody, myself, yourself, anyone who is not in relationship with Christ has, is lost, has no hope, has nothing to live for. You say, Ryan, I don't feel very lost. You say I'm lost. But I don't feel lost. What do you mean I'm lost? It's all throughout Scripture. You say, Ryan, what do you mean I am lost? Well, for those of you who do know this, it's going to be repetitive, but those of you who don't, listen up and I'll tell you where all of your problems come from. I'm going to be a psychologist today. How does that make you feel? I'm going to tell you today where every single problem you face in your marriage comes from. Every single problem where you face in your life comes from. Every uh, life that was taken prematurely. Every disease that overcame your family. Every single situation you face in your life. And you say, Ryan, that's just life. I'm not lost. You, the reality, the scripture says that anyone who is apart from Christ is lost and without hope. And so here we see very clearly that in the very beginning of time, God created a young man and a woman called Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were given an option. God gave them free will and said, listen, I'm going to give you everything. You're going to have a perfect relationship with me. Your marriage is going to be perfect. You're going to both want to watch the same TV shows. You're never going to want to go to a different restaurant. You're, you, you don't mind if you put each other's feet underneath the other person when they're cold. Though, like you just, all of these realities, it's just going to be euphoric. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be an oasis of pure romantic love. It'll be incredible. You're going to have a great relationship with me. Everything's going to be fantastic. And then he said, but there's just one thing you have to know. There's a tree and you cannot pick from this tree. If you pick from the tree, you are choosing, ultimately you're choosing your way, your desires over me. Listen, I'll give you everything, just don't choose that. And the enemy is a little bit of a dork. He came along and he tempted Adam and Eve, as you know, and Adam and Eve were more interested in listening to what the enemy had to say than what God had to say. And so as we all know, in the very beginning of time, I believe this is not just a, uh, 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 an analogy. I believe this is historical. The reality is, is that Adam and Eve, they lived on the planet and they chose themselves over God. And so after that point, God said, listen, there's now sin in your life. Uh, the, you and I have a broken relationship. There's now a severance between you and I. Like the father and the son now has a broken relationship. The things are no longer perfect any longer. You made the decision to choose yourself over, over me. And I want you to know that I love you and will always love you. But the reality is, is that now every one of us here today, whether you like it or not, we are born into a world where we have a sinful nature and the, the, the enemy, or we call him the devil, is called the, 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 the God of this world. And he actually blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we were born into a world where we choose ourselves before we choose God. It's just the reality. You might say, Ryan, you saying that about me. No, 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 I'm saying that about me too. Every single day, I come to a reality in my life where I have to choose between me or God. Me or God. Me or God. It's not just a one-time thing. You don't say a prayer and go to church and everything gets figured out. It's a daily walk with God where I have to daily make a decision that I'm gonna follow God and I'm I'm not going to follow my desire. So don't feel too badly today if you're here and say, Ryan, I don't feel lost. Well, listen, you might not realize it, but I know sometimes I feel lost. Sometimes I feel without hope. 
And sometimes I feel distant from God. And sometimes I feel like there's nothing left for me. And the reality is that there are some times in my life where I am lost. Every single situation you face in your life, you might say, man, it's my wife and it's her problem. Or you might say, man, my kids, there's something wrong with them. Or you might say, man, it's just this world. Or you might say it's God. The reality is it's none of those things. You know what it is? It's just our sinful nature from the very beginning of time. Man in the beginning chose themselves over God. We're lost. We're without hope. We have nothing to live for. And what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, Den, should give us some hope. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to seek and save those who are lost. Look at this. Jesus is about to make up a story. He doesn't, this isn't a factual reality what he's about to say. He just makes this up out of the blue. Look what he says in Luke chapter 15. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure that you're going to put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you get home, call your friends and your neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. This is Jesus talking about the shepherd saying, listen, I want to give you an analogy with a deep, deep meaning. The reality is, is that my father, the great shepherd, I am the shepherd. I have actually come. I've left the, the realities of heaven. I've left the fact that I I'm God. I, I've left that at the door and said, I'm actually going to come to heaven. I'm going to leave the 99 because I want to come after you. My father wants to have a relationship with you because there is a severed relationship. The shepherd goes after the one. This is a mega theme all throughout the scriptures. So the father... We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the beginning, it says that, that, that they created man in his image. And so here's uh, the Trinity getting together saying, man, we really want to bring these kids back to us. What are we going to do? What are we going to do to get all of these people back into relationship with me? They made a mistake. I still love them, but they just continue to choose themselves. I want to rescue them out of their lostness. I want to go find them. What do I do? What do I do? And Finally, someone had a brilliant idea. He said, listen, why don't you send your son? Why don't you send Jesus? Jesus, I think I'm going to send you. And who sent Jesus? It says he. Really interesting you recognize that. Jesus willingly went, but Jesus was sent by who? By the Father. You have to see that this morning. That when this whole Christmas thing happened, it wasn't just this happenstance or this moment in time where, where a big boom happened and Jesus popped into Mary's womb. The reality is, is that the Father had this in his intention to say, I want you back. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've seen. It doesn't matter how many times you've rejected him or how far you've gone down the path of other things. The reality is he wants you back. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you back. He wants that relationship back with you. And that word sent there means on mission. So Jesus was sent on a rescue mission for you. And the scripture very clearly says, look at this. But when the right time came, the time God decided on. Look at that again. When the right time came, the time God decided on. Let that just blow your mind that God decided there was a moment in time in the history of our world where 
he would send his son specifically in his mind to rescue you. You might say, Ryan, I'm already a follower of Jesus. You need to talk to the person next to me. No, no, no. He came to rescue you. Even in your savedness, even in your forgiveness, even in your salvation. If you're a Christian here today, say, Ryan, I'm the best Christian in the room. Listen, Jesus especially came for you. He came for all of us. You say, Ryan, there's the church people, the unchurched people. There's the religious people and the unreligious people. There's the Muslims and the Buddhists and this and this and this. And you have to say, Ryan, did Jesus only come for the Christians? No, he came for everyone. He wants all mankind to be back into a relationship with him. And he went through crazy, extreme measures to make this happen. The father took such extreme measures to rescue back his sons and daughters that he actually altered history for you. Look at the scripture in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, and he considered this. He fell asleep and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to marry for the child within her is con has been conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. I wrote this down just so you could capture it. Matthew is quoting Isaiah 7, which was written 730 years prior. 730 years prior to Matthew writing these words. A man named Isaiah prophesied that there would be a virgin born in Bethlehem. He altered history for you. That means that the New Testament writers cite messianic prophecies from the Old Testament more than 130 times. The Old Testament contains potentially 300 prophetic passages that describe who Messiah is, and 60 of them are major prophecies. God wanted you to know that he was going to break through history and time to let you know that this was not an accident, that this was not made up. That it's not a made-up religion. We don't just come up with this stuff that some guy long ago had a vision of stones and decided that he wanted to start a religion. That's not how this happened. This has been going on since the very foundations of the world. God has been speaking in history from 730 years prior to the arrival of Jesus just to get your attention. Just to say, hey, I'm coming for you. I mean, how about this reality? The fact that our calendar is separated by the very birth of Jesus Christ. Currently, they, the modern secular um, uh, uh, researchers have changed this to CE, meaning, uh, like the, uh, uh, meaning the current time, removing the idea of Christ. But the truth is this, is that for centuries, for years, for a millennial, they've used uh, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. Some people think it's after death, but the reality is it's a Latin term meaning in the year of our Lord. So I would say we live in 2017 in the year of our Lord. Isn't it crazy? You know, there's not another calendar. There's not like another world or another time or another season and another galaxy where there's another calendar where we could say, well, compare this to. We have one calendar. We have one history, we have one beginning, we have one end, and God decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make another point to my people that I want to get their attention so badly that I'm actually going to stick Christ right in the center of history. And most people will stop referring to history the way they used to refer it to. 
but it will be a new day. It'll be a new season. It'll be a new hour. It'll be the year of our Lord, meaning that Jesus is going to come back one day. That's the starting point of the return of Christ. Think about this for a minute. God did such an incredible job to get your attention that he broke through the curtains of heaven and stopped history right in the middle of time and put his cross right between the very end of BC and the very beginning of AD. And it is historically proven that that is the reason why we changed our calendar is because of the birth birth of Jesus Christ. Did they change the, 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 the calendar for the birth of Muhammad? Did they change the calendar for the birth of a president? Did they change the calendar for the birth of kings? No, they did not. They only did it for one king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And God did that for you. He did that to get your attention. He did that to get your heart. He did that to come and rescue you in your life. Guess what else he did? This is crazy. He altered the cosmos for you. Let's just take a moment. Young people, if you want to watch this, this is pretty cool. You might learn something here. Think about this for a minute. Just to, you probably know this already because you're all smarter than me. I didn't do very good in high school. I went to Bible college, so I didn't learn about this stuff. So you probably know this. So you might just say, Ryan, this is common knowledge. But for me, I was like, you know that new emoticon with the head exploding? That's me. I mean, let's just take a moment and look at our, our sun. 150 million kilometers from the earth and it's so large that you could fit 960,000 earths inside of it. And that's just one star in our galaxy. How about Betelgeuse? And the circle on, on the right there, Betelgeuse is 427 light years away, 427 light years away and it's twice the size of earth's orbit around the sun. That means you could fit 262 trillion earths in Betelgeuse. 262 trillion Earths in the size of Betelgeuse. How about this one? Canis Majoris. If Earth was a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. It's so big that you could fit seven quadrillion Earths in it. You see that little dot up there is the sun comparatively. And think about this for a minute. The reality that God is so big. How about this one? This is an amazing picture. That when, uh, when the Voyager 1 was completing its mission, they were told, NASA told them to turn around and take a picture of the galaxy. And it's kind of hard to see with the, with the lights, but this is just deep, deep space. And you see these streams of light. That's our planet. In the picture of eternity, in the picture of a dark expanse. And this is what the man said who took the picture. Look at this. He said, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived, on, uh, lived out their lives, the aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, every hopeful child, inventor, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint, every sinner in the history of our species live there on one moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. This is your life in the matter of 80 years. And all of our history and all of our time from beginning to end is right there on that planet. And God from the outside of the universe decided that he wanted to get your attention and come into our universe on this very day, Christmas, and come in and bring a little baby boy just to get your attention that he wants your heart. 
You say, Ryan, this religion, is this a real religion? I think so. I think it's been proven time and time again that Jesus Christ was born and he died. And guess what? It's a proven fact that he rose from the dead on the third day. And guess what? He did that for you. A dad searching for his lost children. The last one I'll show is this. Potentially, I wrote this wrong, so forgive me. There's potentially 100 billion to 200 billion galaxies. 100 billion galaxies. And just one of these dots is a galaxy. And one of those galaxies is 200 to 400 billion stars and at least 100 billion planets. Can you capture that reality for a moment? That in all this expanse, this is us. And God loved us so much that he went from the outside of this realm, the realm that we can't fathom, the realm of infinity, the realm of eternity, the realm of heaven, and he broke through space and he broke through the orbit and he broke through the clouds and he broke through right down to the tiny little town of 1,600 people living in Bethlehem. The King of kings and the Lord of lords was born by a virgin birth overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, lived 33 years, died a brutal death, most brutal death potentially recorded in history. And he rose on the third day and he all did that all just for you, just finally to give you a, a picture <laughs> of where you are in your galaxy. Matthew 2, here it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the, the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star rose. This is called the Star of Bethlehem. Did a lot of research to try to figure out what this was and there's been enough research done that I think that we can make a pretty good conclusive decision on what this is. And you might know this again too, but it blew my mind that many people thought that 1,400 years prior to Matthew writing that, 1,400 years prior in Numbers 24 written by Moses, he said, I see him but not here and now. I perceive him far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob 1,400 years prior to that star of Bethlehem and Jesus' birth. You say, what is the star of Bethlehem? Some people thought it was a meteor that would burn out too quickly. Some of you thought it was Halley's Comet, but this didn't actually happen until 11 BC, too early for the birth of Christ. Some people thought it was a supernova. But the reality is that the supernova hasn't been recorded in history at any time in that time. And so most scientists, most astrologers have concluded that that happening, that the star of Bethlehem, was the planet Jupiter. It was, it was in a, a moment of time. It happened just after the beginning of, of our new calendar where the, 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 the Jupiter began to rise from the east and then it would zigzag to the left. And it was actually almost as though the planet was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what happened was is that Jupiter began to collide. It looked as though it was going to collide with, with another star, a uh, different type of star. And the, stars, the star was this, this celestial being called Regulus. And Regulus in this picture here. And so it looked as though they were going back and forth, zigzagging back and forth. So when these wise men looked up and saw this phenomenon, it was something that potentially won't happen for another 200, or, I'm sorry, 20,000 years. 
And think about this for a minute. Jupiter is actually named King Planet. And the, 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 the star, the king star that it was looking like it was going to run into, Regulus, is actually called the King Star. And the constellation in which this star, this planet moved was in the constellation Leo, which is the word uh, lion. Prophecies speak about how uh, Jesus will come from the lion of, come from Judah, will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. And next to Leo is the constellation Virgo, which means virgin. Put this together in your mind. Jupiter was Colliding back and forth, when the king planet and the king star was rising out of the lion of Judah and out of the lion of Judah right next to the virgin constellation. You say, Ryan, that, that's just a coincidence. Well, then you need like stop for a minute and consider this reality. They've been calling it this, even well before Christ, they have called these stars, they've named these stars hundreds if not thousands of years ago. And it just so happens that that planet Jupiter was in a certain type of movement where it was colliding king planet, king star, out of, out of lion, next to virgin. That, I believe, was God pointing his finger, changing the cosmos just for you to say, look up in the skies and see that I want to get your attention today. That Christmas can be easily be about Santa. It can easily be about snow, tinsel. But the reality is, is that it's about one thing. We'll read this in Philippians chapter 2, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The omnipresent one downsized to the confines of a human womb. The omnipotent one became a helpless baby that had to be fed and nursed and burped. The omniscient one had to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. He became nothing. Jesus was a reckless act of love on behalf of the Father. Band can come up, and I want to end with the story here, and then we're just going to sing a couple more songs this morning, and then we'll close. There was a man who was a who uh, manned a, a toll bridge, uh, or a bridge. It was a drawbridge. I'm sorry. He was a drawbridge operator, and he had a young son whom he loved very, very dearly. He brought his son to work one day, and while they were at work, his son was enamored, blown away by all his dad did, that when a, a ship would come by, he would have to raise this enormous uh, bridge and so that the ships could go underneath and time it just right so that the train, the, the, the Memphis Express that was coming across this bridge would then, when it came down, would make it right across and the son was blown away at what his dad did. This is so incredible. And they sat on the observation deck having lunch, talking about life. And the father remembered that, that a boat was coming and he needed to get over to the control room and make sure that he could lift up that bridge so that the boat could make it across. And so his father, he told his son, son, I need you to keep a safe distance. I need you to stay here. I'm going to go do my job, hang out, enjoy the view, but do not move. And this man went up into the control room and he started pushing buttons and doing what he did and he prepared himself and he pulled the lever as the bridge came up, the boat came under and all of a sudden the boy down on top of the observation deck heard the faint uh, whistle of a train. 
And his father couldn't hear him because he was in the control booth. So his father couldn't hear the shouting son and he couldn't hear the oncoming train. And so the son thought to himself, I need to get over to the emergency lever and push that lever so that I can get this train across this bridge. So the boy started running over to this place and he tried to get down into the ladder and he slipped and he fell off the ladder and landed inside of the gears of the drawbridge. Now his leg was stuck. He couldn't get out. He was completely stuck in the middle of the gears. At the moment he fell down there, his father realized what had happened. And then he realized also that this Memphis Express was coming as fast as it could. It was a little bit early today. And he looked down and realized that his son was in the gearbox of the drawbridge and there was a train coming and he had to make one of the most difficult decisions a father would ever have to make. As he stood there watching the train coming closer and closer, he had to make a split decision. His, his, he began to perspirate. And he began to be overwhelmed with the thought that what he was about to do, he had to make a choice. And at that moment, he made a split second decision and he pulled down that lever and he watched as the drawbridge came down and he overheard the, 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 the crunching of his own son's bones and life. He wept. He cried. As he stood there, he looked up and he looked at this train and on the train, he saw a conductor taking tickets. He saw a young woman feeding her child uh, food as she sat on the food cart. She saw another young boy drawing on a piece of paper and another dad reading the newspaper. And he realized at that moment that none of these people really knew what he had just done to save their lives. That he had just given his one and only son, the son that he loved, he gave him in an act of reckless sacrifice and reckless love just to save these people, knowing that those people's lives were more important than his own son's life. That is a story of what the father did for you and for me. He allowed his own son to be born as a child, a human form, to be beaten, to be battered, to be wounded, to be beat so brutally on his back that you could not recognize him. They took nine-inch nails and drove them through his wrists and through his ankles and they put him on a cross to say, Ryan, I've heard this before. Have you really understood what it took a father to do that just for you? Let's take Jesus out of the equation for a moment and think about as a parent what you would feel like to watch your one and only son being murdered on a cross and you know that the sacrifice that he's making is for you. This Christmas, don't waste the season. Take time to reconsider that Jesus sent his son as a sacrifice for you. This is just a cute story about this young 13-year-old girl and oh, the wise men, though it's all there. It's about a loving father who gave his own son for you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you've tried, no matter what, what religion you're pursuing, no matter what's going on in your life, the Father wants you back. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to worship today. I'm going to come back up in a couple of minutes and we're going to pray. Come on, would you just close your eyes with me for a few moments? Come on, James is just going to lead us. Father, we just thank you for your son. And my ultimate prayer is that today, God, some people in the room today would give their hearts to you, maybe for the first time. And as we worship today, for the last few moments today, I pray that your spirit would rest in this place and that you would minister to our hearts.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.